This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. Right here on 830WCCO. Good morning. Let's say hello to Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Good to see you again. Merry Christmas, Merry happy Christmas holidays, all of that. Yep. Julie is with. If you're new, new to the show, by the way, this is uh, being brought to us every week at this time by our friends at By the Yard, a family-run business. You're talking about a yard. green company. Yeah. Recycled yeah, plastic milk tins. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. So thanks to the folks at By the Yard. Uh, Julie is with the University of Minnesota Department of Horticultural Science. I like that. I like <laughs> to say that. Yep. Yes, extension. I'm an extension horticulturist. And helps us out all the time here on CCO. We appreciate her expertise, as I know you do. Um, I'll tell you what. Let, let me give the phone number uh, and the text number. Is, you know yourself, Julie, how busy we can get. So don't wait. If you have a lawn or garden question for Julie, phone it in or text it in. Here's the number. We've cleared the uh, phone lines. 651-989-9226 or send Julie a text. She's got that screen right in front of her. 8180781807. But you and I were talking uh, off the air about uh, this time of year and uh, and about gift giving. Because a lot of people, whether they're going to a, right. a, a party or a gathering, or they just want to give a gardener a, a, a gift or two, maybe of a plant, hostess gift, whatever you want to call it. How about some ideas from you? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is go to our Yard and Garden blog, and we have a list of our favorite uh, reference books. That some well, of that's us, a good as idea. educators, we have... Uh, insect books and plant books and all sorts of different things. So take a look at that. That's at extension.umn.edu. Click on the Garden tab and go to Yard and Garden News. You can just Google it also. And uh, we talk about why we like those books. And, so we could give yeah, little reviews kind of? Little reviews, yeah. yeah. And uh, the other thought that I had when we were talking off air mm-hmm. is um, you could take a, a, a really cool pot you know, for planting. Mm-hmm. And I particularly like the pots that are made of recycled materials sure. now because you can leave them out all winter. You don't have to haul them back in and they out don't of your get garage. Damaged, yeah. They don't get damaged. And fill it with all sorts of really neat things for your gardening friend or your family member. I mean, like some or, kind of tools or yeah, things? Yeah. So oh, that's a like, great idea. Like, uh, for, uh, particularly for houseplants, really small pruners are great. And there's a number of different brands, Fiskars and Falco and sure. Drom. They all make great, all different price levels. That's a really nice little gift to have. You can keep them in your hardware drawer in your kitchen, and you can snip off herbs or you can snip off dead flowers, whatever it is you're doing with it. And they're really small, and they're tight, and they have tips that are very sharp. Um, that's a great gift to yeah. anybody, even if that's a stocking stuffer or if you just wrap it up 
uh, as a Hanukkah gift or something like that. So that's a that's a terrific gift to give. But you could fill this pot with all sorts of cool things. Seeds. Seeds are now coming out in the stores. You could tuck in a, an amaryllis bulb that they could plant up. That's a great present, by the way. Amaryll- I'm a big amaryllis fan. You could tuck in some gloves, gardening gloves. Uh-huh. Um, also things like a, a, a little, if they have a, fa- a fairy garden or they like little doodads to put in their plants, you could put some of those in there. So all sorts of good things you could do with That's, that. Those are great ideas. Yeah. And, yeah, you uh, could just go wild. And I like the, I like the book <laughs> idea, too. Yeah. Because we tuck, have some good ones yep, uh, and you available. Could tuck, you could tuck in a nice reference book. Jeff Hahn, our entomologist, has a terrific one on insects of the North Woods. That's an ID book. It's a little pocket-sized guide. And I use that all the time. It sits right on my desk. In fact, that's one that I recommend on the Yard and Garden News blog. And uh, so if you want to ID a critter. Right. If you yeah. want to ID a critter, you want to know what bee you have in your pollinator garden, that's a really good uh, resource for that, really quick. So, again, uh, we can go online. You can go online to extension.umn.edu, click on the garden tab, go to Yard and Garden News blog, and you'll see our references there, or you can just Google that as well. Well, I'll have you repeat that before you leave us today. I will do that. Yeah, that's great. Great. Some great ideas. 25 degrees is our Twin Cities. Are you ready for a phone call? Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. that. Karen is calling from Mora, Minnesota. Karen, you're on with Julie. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Good mm-hmm. morning. How's Mora? Um, a little chilly this morning. It's pretty low. We had quite a bit of snow last night. Oh, so you did? Looked, oh. Yeah, we did. My or, husband actually had to shovel it this morning. Wow. Or as they'd say in Sweden, Mura. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My question, I have a raspberry patch that I've been growing for probably about 10 years. And when it first started, of course, it had a lot of raspberries. But now it's not doing very well. As a matter of fact, last year I only ended up with about... Mm, 15 jars of raspberry jam, and that's disappointing. And I want to find out, first of all, what can I do with the soil to amend the soil to make it better? And also, how do I do that between all the raspberries that are growing? What do I trim up this spring? And how do I get rid of all of my choking out weeds that are in there and keep coming back? I had something in there last year that I think it's called chickweed or something that wrapped around everything everywhere all over my yard and terrible terrible stuff but um i really need the raspberries because that's what i give for gifts and i'm really lacking this year so i'm baking today <laughs> that would be another great thing to tuck in that pot would be a jar of homemade jam that's a great I love yeah. it. it's yeah. fun to do you know but like I said, I, and the other thing that happened was one year when I was able to get out there, there were so many bees in the raspberry patch, I couldn't weed. And so the weeds took over. I'm allergic to bees. And okay. so unless I'm wrapped up in something, I couldn't get in there at all. So. Sure. Yeah. So um, uh, raspberries are, uh, they need full sun. So one thing to look at is to make sure that your patch is still in full sun. Sometimes after years, a tree will start to grow, a branch will grow, and they'll start to shade it. That's one thing. Um, it is great to have bees because you do want that pollination factor. So that's mm-hmm. terrific that they're there. I'm sorry that you're allergic to bee stings. Uh, <laughs> I hope you carry your EpiPen with you. I'm oh, sorry. yeah, you bet I do. Um, and uh, and raspberries are self-fertile, which means they uh, you can get fruit with only one cultivar, so you only need one kind of raspberry. But we do recommend trying a number of different kinds if you like. Um, some mm-hmm. will fruit at different times of the year. You might have noticed that before. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, I think that one of the things that you can think about is is the weeds are a real issue. And if you haven't uh, renovated your 
uh, area yet. If you haven't taken out the old canes, do you do that every year? Do you take those out? I don't know what's new and what's old. Okay. So your um, so your raspberries will produce. You might have seen these big, long green canes with no fruit on them. Okay. And they produce those, and they kind they're really big, very long, and they kind of arch over. And those are the fruiting canes for the next year. Okay. So some people will cut those down because they're not producing. They don't understand that that's going to be the the fruiting cane for next year. So if you're doing any kind of trimming back, sometimes people cut them back because of mowing around the patch or they're just big and long and in the way. Um, But if you cut those off, you're cutting off potential fruiting for next year. That's one That's why I haven't done anything because I don't know what to do. Okay. One of the things, too, is that once a cane fruits, the cane dies. And so mm-hmm. it's important to get in there and clean out those those dead canes. And they'll pull right out of the ground. Yep. Now, that is one thing I have okay. done. Okay. Yeah, those great. are easy. Yeah. That's great because that opens up a lot of space for airflow, mm-hmm. also for um, uh, other canes to come up. And uh, and the weeding is important to keep that. I know that it sounds like a lot of work, but it's you're going to have to get in there and deal with the weeds because they're actually probably competing with the raspberries mm-hmm. for nutrients and space and soil. So so managing that is important. Mulching is a good way to keep those under control. Yeah, but then you get slugs. I don't know. I mean, I've had those too. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, what can I put into the soil to mix in with it to make it a better, because it's in the same dirt that they've been in for years. So you can fertilize. Raspberry plants are heavy feeders, so they need fertilizer. And they generally, uh, composted manure is a good source of nutrients. And you can incorporate those at a planting rate of about three and a half cubic feet per hundred square feet. Uh, if you look at, and and once you've and you can just kind of do that and work it in, you know, put it onto the soil, work it in if you can. That's a little hard. And then it does it, you know, we do recommend about an inch of mulch over that. And that would be leaves, lawn clippings, or wood chips. Any of those would be a good idea. Um, we have an excellent publication on our extension site about raspberries for the home garden. And I would really strongly recommend you take a look at that. It's going to answer almost all your questions mm. that you have. And if you go to our garden webpage and go to fruits, you'll find it under berries. Um, it's a terrific, it's a, it's a new, rather, relatively newly uh, refurbished publication. Oh, okay. It's got an excellent table about things to do and when to do it, what time of year. So I think that's going to really help a lot. And for new listeners, the website is? Extension.umn.edu. Click on the garden tab and then go to yard and garden and go to fruits. And you're going to find really excellent publications on caring for fruits, including apple trees and other berries. and A lot of questions answered. Yeah, stone fruits. Good deal. Julie, hang on. We have to take a break. Uh, And thank uh, Karen for uh, for the call. Good luck with that. We'll uh, take a break. We have more show to come now. If you'd rather send Julie instead of calling Julie, you can... uh, Send a text, 81807, if that's easier, 81807 for your lawn or garden question. In the meantime, one line is open, 651-989-9226. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on A3OWCCO. Denny Long here with Julie Weisenhorn from University of Minnesota Extension helping us out. Yeah, go Gophers. 
Yeah, go Gophers. <laughs> we have callers, Julie, as you can see. We have texters as yeah. well. If you want to call in, I see Excellent. a line open. 651-989-9226. Text. And we're getting a bunch of those now. 81807. Mark is calling from Shakopee. Mark, you're on with Julie. Hi, Julie. Good morning. Um, I have uh, have several trees, but a couple of them were like uh, autumn blaze and ornamental maple. Okay. And one in particular has a four-inch diameter trunk, about 20 foot tall. And I noticed, you know, we had the freezing weather, and then we got up to 50 degrees. Yes. And then it dropped down again. Uh, A couple of them started bleeding like they would in spring with the sap. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that detrimental to the tree or is that something normal? I've never seen it before and I'm 75 years old and I've never seen it. Yeah, I think it's just the combination of the temperatures. You know, it's kind of like you said, it's like spring weather. It's cold at night and warm in the day. It's not going to hurt the tree. It's just a natural reaction to the temperature fluctuation, I believe. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Jeannie's calling from Montgomery with a question. Jeannie, you're on CCO. Hey, kids. Season's greetings from Montgomery. Hey, (laughs) and to you. Hey, I got to add to that lady's uh, uh, kind of trauma with her raspberries. Um, Here's some good historical information. Uh, My dad taught me to, every spring I had planted heritage everbearing that I got from him, actually, which were many years old. And I, every spring I would chop the, them down to about knee height, and I had horses. So um, I would take about uh, a foot deep of horse manure and pack that around all of the, all of the uh, sure. little raspberries or, you know, the stalks that I right. had chopped down and um, just, you know, kind of manage this in a four-foot-wide section by about 15 feet long. And what would happen was is, is I would not get the biggest crop, of berries, you know, the first round in the, the season. But in the fall, the berries would be as big as your toll. Nice. <laughs> they were just the most wonderful berries. And you can pack that as full of compost or horse manure, you know, that deep and um, be able to, number one, control weeds. Number two, it'll fertilize those raspberries. And number three, it kind of manages the runners because they don't go much farther past where you've got the horse manure or the compost because it's nice and moist there, and they kind of stay right there, and you can manage them. And if one snuck out beyond that, I would just dig it up and put it back in. (laughs) I just thought I would pass that on because it's extremely successful, and it's kind of a no-brainer. Raspberries are kind of a no-brainer if you if you uh, kind of approach it that way. So I thought I'd lend a hand. Thank you. That's That's great. great. You made two really good points. One uh, you talked about with uh, the horse manure. Be sure that that's composted for about a year. Uh, Fresh horse manure is a little bit uh, ripe, and it will uh, it could potentially burn the plants. So if you do use manure, whatever it is, uh, choose something that's got that's been composted. And then the other thing that I like is you mentioned your bed size, four feet by fifteen feet. It's narrow enough to reach in from both sides. We can reach as as normal adults about two feet into a bed. Uh, sometimes raspberry patches get really wide and they get dense, and you can't get into the middle of them because they're too thick. So you want to, uh, that would be a case where you'd go in and you'd pull out all those canes to make pathways into that center area to, to create more manageable size beds. So those are two really good points. I appreciate the call. That was awesome. Yeah, we have the greatest listeners. Jeannie from Montgomery, yes. raspberry grower extraordinaire. Very good. 651, thanks Jeannie, 651 989 
That's the number. It is open if you want to use it. Or send a text, 81807. Text said, I have seven Techni Arbovita that are at 12 feet. I want to keep that height and their current width. Uh, now or when should they be pruned and trimmed? Well, they can be sheared in uh, early spring when you start to see new growth. And, and we, we recommend a loose shear. And a loose shear is using a, you can use a, you know, manual trimmers or you can use an electric trimmer or a gas trimmer. And you want to just shear off that new growth. If you shear too tightly, wherever you cut into that branch, you promote uh, excessive uh, leaf growth. And you get these kind of big, thick, you know, dense plants on the outside, and you don't get anything on the inside. A loose shear by just trimming off new growth will keep the size, you know, relatively contained, but it will also allow light to go in and reach some of those inner branches so that you don't have this kind of a outer coating of tightly, you know, tight green growth and then nothing on the inside. You can, you can shear arborvitae couple times, two, three times a year if you have to. I wouldn't do it now. Um, I would just wait until spring when you see that new growth. What can you tell me, Texter says, about the new fruit fly that attacks raspberries and strawberries well, in our state? Well, yeah, that's called the spotted wing drosophila. It is a fruit fly, and it is a real headache. Um, I'm not going to get into too much about it, but I will tell you that we have an excellent publication on our extension website about the spotted wing drosophila under insects. And I would I would go to insects A to Z, or you could Google the, we call it the SWD, um, and you could go into that and take a look at it. But it is, it's a fruit fly that lays its eggs in the, in, in the fruits, in soft fruits mm. in particular. So grapes, raspberries, you raspberry growers out there, mm-hmm. uh, also uh, blueberries, and the larvae, the egg hatches inside, and the larvae, emerges and it emerges after you harvest the fruit or after the fruit is ripened. So Ooh. if you leave fruit on your plants and they drop on the ground, you you could potentially if you've got the SWD around, you could potentially be kind of just perpetuating the life cycle of that insect. What you want to do is take those fruits off, keep keep up on your on your picking. Um, there is a trap that you can set uh, using cider vinegar and a jar. Uh, you can also um, Freeze your fruits will kill the larvae, and if you eat the larvae, it's okay. It's not going to hurt you. You won't even know it. <laughs> hmm. But what's happened is people have picked it. They put it in their fridge or on the counter, and all of a sudden it's covered with larvae. It's just gross. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it's really bad, and it's yeah. been particularly damaging to the commercial industry. Wow. So, uh, yeah, really a bad Pretty devastating. Pest. Really a it bad pest. Yeah. But read that publication because there's some ways that you can help uh, manage that within your your, uh, own berry patch. And again, look for it on the website. On the extension site and go to insects and you can just uh, search for spotted wing drosophila or just scroll down on insects A to Z down to S. Very good. Julie, we have to take our usual bottom of the hour break. We do have another half hour of the show to go. So if you miss getting any either phone call or text, still have time. But don't wait. Call us, 651-989-9226. Rick, you're going to be next. Or send a text, 81807. After the break, we'll be back with more Smart Garden here on 830-WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our Smart Garden show brought to us every week by our friends down near Jordan, Minnesota, that make the best patio furniture in the whole world by the yard. We appreciate them sponsoring this show. I know Julie does, too, oh, because absolutely. she likes to come down here I love to come on a down here. chilly Saturday. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> and we appreciate Julie's expertise, as I said earlier. If you have a lawn or garden type of question for Julie, 651-989-9226. 
or send the text. And as you can see, Julie, we have a few of those too. But Rick has been waiting there in Hopkins to ask you a question. Rick, what is your question, Rick? Hi, good morning. Hey, I've got scale on a magnolia tree in the front yard, and it's been there probably three years now. And I've had it treated, I think they come twice a year, like once in the spring, once in the fall. And I think it's kind of like a, I don't know if it's mineral oil they spray it with. Horticultural oil, yep. Yeah, something. But, you know, truth being said, it really doesn't go away. So at this point, what happens is the, I don't know if it's a secretion or the, you know, the scale emits or what it does, but, you know, it darkens the leaves. It actually kind of kills the leaves, it seems, and or the branches and trunks get real dark in color, kind of charcoal. And then any foliage, you know, hostas and stuff below the tree, whatever is dripping down on them essentially, you know, removes them from the process of growth also. Is there anything that can be done or you just really have to throw in the towel eventually because it's it's not going to go away because it's an expense to have these guys come out twice right, a year. Right. Um, it, well, you could approach it two different ways. One is you could take the tree out, replace it with something else. And, uh, and in some cases, magnolia scale comes along on the tree. It's awfully, often too small. And so choosing a, you know, really looking that plant over and making sure that, uh, that it's free of scale is the first thing to do. But three years is a long time to try to treat that. Um, there are systemic pesticides that can be used. Systemics are uh, applied as a soil drench. They're taken up by the tree, and when the insect feeds on the plant, it kills the insect. Uh, you have to be a little careful of those because some may be detrimental to beneficial insects. But you have to, so reading the label, and your, your company that is treating it now would be able to advise you on some of that. But after three years and the cost of having somebody come out, I mean, my inclination personally, if it was my tree, unless it was this really unique, fantastic, out of control, fabulous magnolia, I would take it out. Mm. Um, I don't. I have a low tolerance for pests like that, it just, and that's my personal, you know, way I garden. Um, you could also replace. There's lots of other uh, options too for early spring. There's red buds and there's forsythia shrubs. Uh, you could also replace with another. Uh, magnolia. You might want to wait, though, or place it in a different location uh, just in case any. I don't think the scale overwinters or, or falls down into the soil or anything. I think it resides on the branches, but that might be the case. So um, so I think my feeling would I would take it out and replace it with something else. Um, or I, you know, the other option is to do a systemic, something a little bit more lethal. Ah. Okay. But it's been great that you've been trying with the dormant oils. Those are the least impactful to uh, beneficial insects. There you go, Rick. Good luck with that. Yeah, scale's a tough thing. I have scale right now on my Meyer lemon in my house, and and mm. I and and it's a thought process because that plant does go outside in the summer, and bees do visit it. So I don't want to treat it with anything that's like a systemic, uh, like a imidacloprid, which is detrimental, toxic to bees. So I have to think about it. And so I've been just treating it by hand, basically, mm. with a contact. I put on my gloves. I put on my, you know, make sure i am got my goggles on and use a little dab and just get in there. And I, sometimes I'm just hand-picking those stinking scales off the leaves. It's a mess, <laughs> tell you. <ya. laughs> You're kind of a tough guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All Scales. Six five one nine eight insects to manage. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. There is a line open. Let's grab some text messages, Julie. Uh, my milkweed texter says came up well last year, first year after initial planting. Do the plants along the roadsides have as much trouble with aphids? Uh, how can I reduce yeah. the potential? Yeah, aphids are a problem with uh, milkweed. Um, 
there's not a lot to do. I know in my with my I have a lot of swamp milkweed. It's the kind of tall, narrow branches. It's not your common milkweed. That's the kind of beefy, thick, wide branches and the big, gigantic pods. It has slender pods. The swamp milkweed. I know I get oleander aphids on them. They're the bright orange aphids. Uh, on a on a good day, I'm just smashing them with my gloves on. Uh, much like I do the scale. But um, but one of the things I've noticed is I have a lot of swamp milkweed. I have tons of it. I do not need any more swamp milkweed in my yard. So I will go and cut off the pods before they emerge, and that seems to cut down on the number of oleander aphids I have. That's where they like to feed is on that end of the plants. They're not so much down in the more mature leaves. And then, you know, uh, I might leave a few pods to open, or if I can can collect the pods when they're dry, I might spread them around then or share them with other people. So I do still propagate the plant, but that way I keep those aphids down to a minimum. I don't know if that's helpful or not. It depends on the size of your crop, I suppose, um, also how much you want to do. But you can blast them with water. That's one thing. Um, You don't really want to treat them because the whole purpose of those milkweeds is to benefit insects, and you don't want to treat them with anything that might be detrimental to them. So you really have to kind of kind of, you know, balance that with how much work do you want to do to keep the milkweed growing. Here's another text. Then we're going to get back to the phones, Julie. A texter says, I planted a Japanese peony last fall in September, according to U of M instructions. Will it bloom this spring or will I have to wait another year, do you think? I'm stumped. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know much about usually I don't know much about the Japanese peonies. Um I think if anybody out there is a peony grower and knows that, if they wouldn't mind texting that in, that would be great. But I I think it I wanna say it take might take a couple of seasons before okay. it blooms. Um basically uh the plant needs to mature to a point where it's large enough, it builds up enough storage and it's tuber to actually, or in its root, to actually produce a flower. I, that's that's going to be, I'm going to say it might take a year or two more. Well, like you suggested, maybe a, yeah, a, a peony grower grown might. Yeah, if anybody's grown those, uh, looks like. Uh, call us or know. text us. Yeah, call yeah. us or text us. Absolutely. That'd be great. Number 651-989-9226. Speaking of which, let's go back to the phones. Debbie is calling from Ogilvy with a question. Uh, Debbie, you're on CCO. Hi. Um, hi lost a big box elder tree at the corner of my garden, and I had to take it down. I'd like to replant something there that's a um, quick-growing shade tree that um, is long-lived. What do you think you would put there? Well, uh, I would say that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look on our tree page here, and uh, we have some excellent recommendations there. I, I, I'm a fan of crab apples. Um, they're great. Um, and even though the magnolia was a problem, that's a great one. That's not necessarily a shade tree. Um, but there's also a, a number of different birches. Um, shade tree-wise, you might want to try a Kentucky coffee tree. It's not a very fast-growing tree, though, no. I have to say. Um, uh, honey locusts, they give you a little bit of filtered shade. Um, uh, also things like a hackberry, which is a native tree and has really interesting bark on it. Um one of the recommendations I'd say is think about how tall and how wide you can you want that tree to be, if you can estimate that. And we have a plant database. Um, it's one of my pet projects as an extension educator. You can find it under our landscaping section of our website. It's called Plant Elements of Design. And uh, you set up a, an account with an email and a password, 
I'm the only person who sees that. Don't worry about getting anything from me on that. But you can go ahead and enter in the conditions that you are that you are looking for. That your your yard, you know, the amount of light, the space, the soil type, uh, what kinds of features in that plant that you're looking for, and you can uh, go ahead and click on search. And we have about just under 2,800 plants in there. And you should. There are a lot of pictures, about 5,500 different images, and it will give you some really good options. Um, for some tried and true zone four plants. Um, you can also see there's also zone three plants for all of you zone three people and even zone five and, and warmer as well. So uh, if you want to go right to the website, it's landscapeplants.extension.umn.edu. And if you go to that and then uh, that will, you can step your way through the, the process there. But that's a good database. Also on our trees and shrubs section, we do list a number of kind of also good shade trees as well. And Gary Johnson, one of our uh, urban foresters in, in, uh, at the University of Minnesota, has written a couple good publications called Recommended Trees. And he's divided the state into quadrants. So in Ogilvy, mm. you might look in the southwest or you could also look. That'd probably be. The, I think that'd be the closest. There's a map. I think that that also shows where that is. So, so take a look. There's a couple of different resources for choosing, but be sure that you understand your site conditions first. Makes and sense. Choose a plant that will grow well. It'll keep your maintenance issues. The plant will thrive, and you'll have a, a nice looking tree for a long time. Very good. Good luck with that, Debbie. Dave in Coon Rapids is next on the phone. Go ahead, David. Hey, folks. Good morning. Hi, Dave, Dave, have you tried uh, for your scale? Um, Insecticidal soap. Yeah, so insecticidal soap also is another option. Um, I think the dormant oil actually. Um, oh, you mean for me, for my tree, or for the magnolia scale? No, for for the scale that uh, you were talking about. Oh, your, okay. For your house plant. Yes, I actually have tried that. Yeah, yeah, and I'm still working on that. My trouble is that it's I, I have to spray that on, and I'll, I'm in a nice room that's got painted walls and I'm concerned oh, that it's going to okay. spray on. So I'd have to move the plant, but that, yes, I have tried a little bit okay. of that in, in small doses, but I will I have, keep working okay. on it. I have uh, some uh, evergreens that have grown under uh, oak trees and uh, they were planted here maybe 30 years ago, you know, right when the house was built Right. and they've gotten very leggy and the bottom half is, there's no needles on there anymore. So I'm going to have to take them out in the spring. So I'm, I'm looking for something I can put in their place to retain what used to be a little bit of a screen. Sure. But it's going to be understory, underneath some pretty tall oaks. And I'm, I'm up in the Anoka sand plains. I'm just wondering any ideas. You know, I've been looking at pagoda dogwood, but yeah. um, I'm not sure how much light they need. Uh, they are an understory plant, and so they will grow in some part shade. You could look at that database I mentioned, but yews come to mind because they are one of the evergreens that tolerate shade and actually do well in some shade. So you might want to look for like some, some spreading yews, and they would give you that screen effect as well as uh, and maintain that look of that evergreen. Um, so that's the one that jumps right out to me. All right. That's a good idea. Yeah. And thanks for the advice on the soap. Yeah, Dave. I might try to revisit that one. Appreciate I tried that. Tried it one time, and anyway, yeah. 
they're still there. Say again, we've got the greatest listeners. Pesky got, little yeah. buggers will scale. <laughs> not the listeners. <laughs> but, yeah. No. No, the scale is. Scales, the scale yes. is. I just not want to be clear. Yeah. Before we head to the break, I listeners want to be clear. Listeners are awesome. <laughs> hang, hang on, Julie. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on A3OWCCO, brought to us every week by our friends at By the Art Patio Furniture. Uh, let's see, Julie, we've got callers, we have texters. Let's see how many folks we can help before you uh, head out of here. Lightning today. round. All right, Vicki is calling from Egan with a question. Hi, Vicki, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I have a dwarf man- mandevilla plant mm-hmm. that I had outside. I brought it in, and unfortunately, the only place I have it is in front of the patio window. That's okay. the only. And it seems to be dropping a few leaves. And I don't know if because it's, it's cooler there. Um, I, I don't know if sure. that's the best place for it or if it's just natural for a plant to kind of lose its leaves by burying it in. You are exactly right. Uh, it will drop its leaves and it will continue to drop its leaves through the winter. Um, it's just the nature of uh, that plant uh, coming into a drier condition air-wise, humidity-wise. And uh, it's great that you've put it in front of that, the brightest window you can, because the light is the really one of the biggest limiting factors for houseplants is the amount of light that we can get into our houses at this time of year. So where it is is probably great. And, in fact, it's better to have it in a cooler location, namely because it won't dry out as fast. The one thing about mandevillas is that they are big feeders, so you're going to want to fertilize it every time you water it. About half-strength fertilizer. Don't load it up or anything. Make sure it drains really well so uh, you can set the pot into your sink and water it and let it just sit and, and you know let the water drain out of it and then put it back in front of that window. You can keep it pruned back, too. I, I have a mandevilla that my friend Kathy gave me. And I've kept it, I'm keeping it now through the winter. Um, and it is, I, I tend to trim it back a little bit because I, I, you know, as a plant puts out a lot of energy for flowering, it can, you know, uh, it uses a lot of its energy that way. And so I'm kind of just kind of keeping it in check so that it's not putting out too much effort through the winter when it doesn't have a lot of uh, active growing go, going on. But uh, yeah, you sounds like you're doing the right thing. I would just say that to fertilize it half strength every time you water it. Okay, very good, Vicky. Thank you. General fertilizer. I think we have time for George's call. George is calling from Delano with a question. Good morning, George. Good morning. Good morning. I've got a question about a weeping birch. Okay. And it's about a 15 year old tree, eight, nine inches across. And uh, it's two things. It, it seems like the top three, four feet is dying every year for the last two, three years. But it never dies. It's just all weepy out there, you know, hanging and uh, doesn't look as, at all like the rest of the tree. And uh, it also, down on the first two or three limbs, two for sure, it has real where the limbs are, the top part of the limb where it joins the tree is real. It looks like a big open sore almost with scabbing type stuff on top of it. Okay. And I was worried about birch borer, and for the last few years I've been using criterion insecticide, mixing it with water and sprinkling it on the ground around the tree. Okay. 
and I don't have any birch board. I know what birch board yeah. looks like, yeah. and I don't have any of that. So I'm 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 going to go out on a limb. No pun intended here. <laughs> um, weeping plants are sometimes grafted, and um, I'm wondering if there's something wrong with the graft. If there's if there's become an infection in that graft, uh, maybe bacterial infection, that might be the sore that you see on the plant. And the fact that the upper part of the plant, uh, the part that should be producing new weeping branches every year, is dying back. That when we graft plants, uh, you have a rootstock and you have a top of a plant. You take the top of one plant and you graft it to the other, to the rootstock of another. And sometimes those grafts uh, become problematic. Sometimes the top of the plant will die, and the rootstock will take over uh, growing. And so I wonder if I wonder if the graft has died or is or is infected, and so the top of the plant is dying back, and the uh, but the bottom of the plant is still still working, so uh, still growing. So um, the best thing I think to do you could here's a couple of things you could uh, have a a certified arborist, take a look at it. You could take a couple of really good photos and bring them into a local garden center, or you could put those photos on Ask Extension and uh, send them into Ask an Expert. So Ask Extension is an online uh, uh, page that we have on our garden site, and you can reach Extension a number of different ways, and one of the options is called Ask Ask an Expert. And uh, it allows you, you can type in your question, and then you can attach up to three photographs to it and send it. And either I will get it or Master Gardeners will get it. And we can then look at the photos and maybe make a little bit better uh, diagnosis. If we can't, we'll recommend that you go to a certified arborist and have someone take a look at it. Okay. Thank you, George. Interesting question, George. I should say. That's a good one. We're almost out of time, but I wanted to grab this text that we, we seem in the latter part of the growing season get this almost every week. Says <laughs> my, Charlie? My, no, my, my brightest... <laughs> Maple tree stayed green, never dropped oh, yeah. leaves this fall, still had 25% of leaves. I had really pruned it consistently in the spring. It also got a lot of water this spring. Is that why it never uh, turned? But we've had yeah, that Yeah, so again. we had that question last week. And, and I, um, one, of the, one thing that happens is, is as, as the weather changes, temperature changes, the tree will form what's called an abscission layer between the petiole of the leaf and the branch where it hooks on. And what happens is, in our case, uh, it, uh, we got, it got too cold, the leaves froze, the abscission layer never formed, and so they remain green, which is the chlorophyll pigment, um, which covers up or masks the red pigments that are naturally in the leaves. So we get green leaves that are, look like they're dying, but they haven't fallen off because yeah. that layer never formed. Yeah, yeah. again. That'd be a good article for Yard and Garden News. I should say. Now, for those, and we just have seconds to go, Julie, for those that uh, missed it, give us that uh, website before you head out. Extension.umn.edu. Click on the Garden tab, go to Yard and Garden. And again, if you didn't get your question answered, you can go to Ask Extension. And don't forget the gardener in your life for the holiday That's gift right. giving. You've That's got right. a lot Take of good a look ideas. Take at our Yard and Garden news blog and go shop your local garden centers. Excellent. Merry Christmas to Merry you guys. Christmas. I'll and see you next week. See you next week, Julie. Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota Extension here on CCO. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.